Well, hey there, everyone. This is Dave DeBow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. And today I've got my good friend, Stefan Arneo on the call. How are you doing today, Stefan? Magical, Dave. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So if you haven't heard of or met Stefan Arneo before, he is definitely a phenomenal real estate investor. He's an award-winning investor, very, very successful. He started from scratch, definitely did not have the silver spoon in his mouth and made a lot of mistakes along the way, which I'm sure we'll hear a few of those, as most of us do, but got very, very, very good at flipping houses, primarily in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Got so good at that, he won awards about that. He started teaching, training, and mentoring, and coaching people about that. He has written many books, phenomenal books. I've got several of them on my bookshelf right now, and overall, just a one of the sharpest young guys that I know. So Stefan, welcome to the call. Glad to have you on here. And today we're going to be talking about one of your areas of specialty, which is raising capital. Well, thank you for having me, Dave. That intro was phenomenal. I'm going to have to send you the check in the mail because that was a really great intro. <laughs> well, it's it's all, all, all from the heart, that's for sure. So Stefan, let's take us back here. At the time that we're recording this, you are a total of 32 years old. So you're as what I affectionately call a young punk because I ain't anymore, but you've been doing this for quite a while. In fact, uh, I think when we first met, if I'm not mistaken, you were like 18 or 19 years old, give or take, just getting started in real estate investing, just kind of learning about all these kind of things. So walk us through that progression. Well, I always say my real estate career, Dave, started when I was 16. I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be rich and famous. And of course, when you're a kid, you know, 16 years old, all you still call me a kid, but you know, if you're 16 and a kid, you think that the way that to get rich and famous is, you know, what you see on TV. So rock stars, actors, actresses, that kind of thing. And so I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to be a rock star. And I went to music school. My mother, of course, is a teacher and said, if you want to be a musician, you need to go to music school and learn to get a degree because, you know, of course, a degree saves your life. You're, you're going to be uh, financially secure somehow from that degree, which doesn't make any sense anymore. Life will be great happily ever after if you get a degree. So my mother convinced me to get a degree, and I went to the University of Manitoba. I dropped out of the music school. I dropped out of the business school. I dropped out of computer science. And finally, I said, how do I get out of here without dropping out? And the lady said, take two English classes. You can have an English degree. So I took two poetry classes, got an English degree with a minor in music. And then I was graduating and I realized there's no jobs for me. Mm -hmm. I was 22 years old. It was about 2008. English degree was, was useless back then. Mark Cuban, the billionaire, says today an English degree is one of the best degrees to have because there's so much content being written nowadays. But back in 2008, there was no content, right? So in 2008, here I am graduating. And the only jobs for me, Dave, was $10 an hour call center jobs in the middle of the night. So yeah. I had a $10 an hour call center job. I was making more money than that as painting houses in the summer. So I had post-grad depression. I was depressed about, you know, I'd spent my whole life being educated so that I could make 10 bucks an hour in a call center in the middle of the night. Horrible, horrible uh, situation, especially considering you've been preparing for 22 years for this. And I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it said, hey, anybody can be rich. You don't have to be a rock star. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be famous. All you have to do is invest in real estate. If you invest in real estate and own a business, you can be rich. And so that got me excited again, and I started taking seminars. I started taking classes. That's how I ran into you. 
on the seminar circuit out in uh, probably Alberta at the time. And that's where things got started. You know, discovering Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad was like rediscovering rock and roll for me. It changed my life. And at 22, I started in real estate with 1200 bucks. I was a broke guitar teacher making 12 or $1,000 a month, 10 grand a year or so. And by the time I was 28 and a half, became a self-made millionaire and was a Rich Dad International Hall of Fame. And today at 32, you know, this year, oh gosh, I'm acquiring about $10 million of real estate to acquire and keep yeah. this year. You know, yeah. at age 32, I send my mother checks every month. I support my mother. My father, who is negative about me getting in this business, works for me now. So, you know, it, it, you go through all this time and things change over time and written five books now and, you know, just keep on punching every day. That's what I do. You definitely do. You're definitely... Respect the grind, as, as you say, that's for sure, right? Yeah, Yeah. respect the grind, that's the brand. You're getting into buying old and stuff, but your claim to fame, or what a lot of people know you for, is doing flips. So talk to us a little bit about the number of transactions you've done over the years, you know, when you're really focusing on this in, in Winnipeg, what kind of volume we were doing per year. Just tell us, give us a little idea of that. So I have a very active company. My team right now does about a deal a week in Winnipeg. Uh, we get the contract signed up 40 to 60 cents on the dollar distressed property. And we're moving a contract a week. I got two acquisition guys in my office and we're moving a contract a week. That's the pace. Um, over the years, probably a couple hundred transactions for sure. I know at my lawyer's table last time we checked, it was like 120, 130 closings we'd done or something at that one table. It's probably up to 200. I did six closings two weeks ago at his table. So every week I'm seeing my lawyer, we're closing something every week. Yeah. I mean, buying, fixing, selling lots of homes with none of my own money. And I've never really used my own money, Dave, because I started out not having any money. And it's interesting having the no money mentality because when you get money, like I have money now, I still don't want to use it. Mm -hmm. So you know, you continue the no money down. I was just mentioning to you, um, I'm working on a deal right now, a million dollar purchase, no money down vendor financing with a $1.2 million construction loan, no money down again. And then that building is worth about five when it's 5 million when it's fixed up and a $22,000 cash flow. And that comes from no money down, no money down, no money down. You just get into this mentality where you have to do everything, no money down. You don't want to why pay for it if you can get it. No money else down. Yeah, get somebody else to. You start off with twelve hundred bucks, so you started off with investor partners from your very first deal. Is that correct? Yeah. So you know, at the beginning, um, I went out and went to a cash flow night with five other guys, and this was after probably an event you were at. Actually, I met five strangers, and we played the cash flow game. We did two fake deals on the board, and the third deal, we bought a real house. And we each put 1200 bucks down. I ended up holding the mortgage. This was in November, 2009. And that's the stupidest thing you can do is hold the mortgage for six Joes that you don't know. But I'm holding at a board game. Yeah. At a board game. I know. So I'm holding the mortgage and you know, the deal went okay at the beginning and then the tenants smashed it up and stopped paying. And I had, I ended up having to raise some money and buy everybody out because um, of course, you know, when you're in it for 1200 bucks, nobody cares about the property very much. Right. So, so you're on the mortgage, so you have to care. So well, I was on the I was on the mortgage for like a hundred and four thousand or something, and everybody else was in for twelve hundred bucks. So you know, I didn't negotiate very well. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, started raising money from friends and family at the beginning, and then I got better at what I did and started having a pipeline of deals. 
And I always say, I, I started out my career, I did one deal my first year, one deal my second year, third year I did 12 deals because I hired a coach. So I hired a real estate coach and I did 12 deals. The next year I did 24 deals. The next year I did 30 deals. And you know, this year, oh my gosh, 50 plus deals this year. And that comes from investing in a coach. Coaching is near and dear to my heart because I really sucked before I had somebody on me every week tuning me up. I really couldn't figure it out. I didn't have the mentality. And when I got the coach, I went from raising 10 grand and 20 grand from mom and pop mailmen and teachers and switch to accredited investors and rich people. That's a big difference. And nowadays I hate, I used to have 18 investors I raised from. I only work with one or two very rich guys. In fact, one guy I work with, he's an investment fund. And the other guy I work with, I've heard he has $140 million from the sale of his company. So those are the two major investors I work with today. And I don't have to go out for a million lunches and a million dinners anymore with a million investors for 10 or 20 grand a piece because I made the leap into the bigger guys and the bigger money. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So rewind a bit. And when you first were dealing with those 18 different investors and little dribs and drabs here and there, um, what, which I don't recommend people do, right? Because I, I don't know if your experience was that for some of those people, the 10 grand they invested with you was the only 10 grand they had. And uh, they became complete pains in the butt. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, you know what? The when, when you're at the beginning, you're at the beginning. And if you ever go to the grocery store and you see a homeless man outside picking cigarette butts out of the garbage to make himself a cigarette, that's you at the beginning. You're picking up the cigarette butts, anything you can find. <laughs> but when you get better, you don't have to take that anymore. So at the beginning, take what you can get. But, you know, if you do start with that, work as hard as you can to get out of that and get into something better because – you can't run a business on a bunch of a bunch of pikers, a bunch of part-time people. A lot of those ten thousand dollar investors, if something goes wrong at all, they're so scared that they're out. So you know, you can if you have a deal go bad or something happens, they're losing their shirts, they're losing their brain, they can't handle it. With the bigger guys, if they lose money, they're like, oh yeah, I've lost lots of money before. Okay, keep going, right? It's a different mentality with business people, real business people versus you know teachers and nurses and even dentists and doctors are horrible investors and i don't recommend using them because as soon as there's a one percent problem like a one percent loss a lot of them don't have the stomach or the balls for real estate talk to me about that i understand what you're talking about you know you're you're farting around doing your own thing for the first couple of years you got a mentor you got a coach it helped you get your your head in the right game how did you transition from working with those mom and pop $10,000, $20,000 investors to getting millionaires to pay any attention to? The biggest thing is a mindset shift. You, know, you have to have a mindset shift. It's just like, you know, right now I'm doing a couple multi-million dollar deals. Well, it's a mindset shift. You just go, okay, I'll just add a zero to the end of this. And now we're doing a bigger deal. Mm -hmm. So it's a mindset shift. You say, okay, well, you know, I want to start targeting these better investors. I'm going to start talking to these guys. I'm going to start looking for these guys. And the fact of the matter, Dave, is everybody likes making money. No matter how rich or poor you are, everybody's interested to hear about ways to make money. And the question is just, do these people think that you can operate? And I remember when I got the money with my first multimillionaire investors, I think these guys had, I don't know how much money they had, but my guess is between, it was two to 10 million liquid. And I remember working with them and they said, you know what, Steph, and I get approached all the time for deals. I'm choosing to work with you because I know you can do 20 of these in a year. 
And I want to deal with somebody who can really deploy my money. And I know you're the guy and you got the passion, you got the drive. And these guys were entrepreneurs who sold a manufacturing company, cashed out. And, you know, they were younger guys, 43 and 53, not super old. So they're still aggressive. Mm-hmm. And we went out and did a ton of houses, man, just a ton of houses. And then I also had my smaller portfolio. I was also doing houses with the smaller portfolio. And I would play those two groups of investors off each other because investors have emotions, right? So sometimes these guys are scared or these guys are scared. So I'd have to take the deals to the two camps and I go back and forth. Nice. Nice. So just out of curiosity, how the hell did you get the attention of the big fish? How did you find out who they were, where they were? You know, what is, what does that look like? Well, in my book, money people deal, which I know you, I know you I have a copy. That book. Right. An awesome book. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And money people deal wrote it in 2013. I talk about the Seth model and the Seth model is where you start working with some small investors and they refer you to rich people. They, your first little cigarette butt investor base is going to refer you to the rich people. Cause you know, if you're broke, you probably don't know very many rich people. And believe me, I was broke. I was living at my mom's house. I remember I was doing my meetings at the Starbucks behind my mom's house. So I put on a suit, leave mom's house, go do my meetings at, at Starbucks. <laughs> and then I come back to mom's house. I had three suits in the closet and an Apple computer and a car and a bag of checks. And that's how I rolled, man. And I had a dozen properties when I moved out of mom's house. So I did okay with having that kind of setup and that kind of base. You know, you just do whatever it takes to make this kind of thing happen. And being broke, being a broke kid, obviously my friends, my broke kids, friends aren't coming through. You have to get a referral to somebody with money and ultimately everybody knows money. So that method is called the Seth model. It's inside my book, money people deal. And if you go to moneypeopledeal.com, you can get a copy. I like that statement. Ultimately everyone knows money. Oh, Oh, Dave, it's, it's, it's amazing. And we do something called the capital 150 list. I have a, a capital uh, raising class and we make people do the capital 150 list. Here's the 150 people, you know, and we have a math formula, you apply to it, and everybody has over a million dollars accessible to them, especially if a doctor and a dentist. Mm-hmm. You know, we do this formula, it's take their age minus 20 years, because that's their earning years. Mm-hmm. And let's say they have 5,000 net worth per every earning year. So let's say you have a 60-year-old doctor, so he's 60 minus 20, so he's got 40 earning years times 5,000, he should have at least 200 grand. And then you can multiply it by three because he's a professional. So that means he should have 600 grand liquid. Your 60 year old doctor should have 600 grand. And then does he own a home? Yeah, he owns a home, add another 50 grand, couple other adjustments you make. And that list you make, you have millions and millions. Some people have 20 million, 80 million on their list. If they sold a business, multiply it by 10. If that doctor sold a business, instead of 600 grand, now suddenly he would have, what is that, 6 million? Yeah. Because he sold a business. So you start doing the math and you can estimate pretty quickly and pretty accurately how much money do people have. And it usually comes from people 45 to 60, 60 or so, 65. 65 people start getting conservative. Yeah. But right about 45 to 60. And uh, based on their profession, based on are they a business owner, based on have they sold a business, that gives you all the multipliers to figure out how much money should this guy have in his net worth or liquid assets. Smart. Very smart. Mm. What, what's your take on how to present your investment opportunity to potential investors? Well, I have a binder and I teach people, hey man, make this big binder. It's just like going to a bank for a loan. 
Uh, you want to make a big binder and, you know, I think I have a 12 tab binder. I have people do. I haven't done a binder myself in a long time. I have my team do it for me. My accounting team does it. So I haven't actually made the binder in several years. But, um, you know, we get everything in a binder. You, you got your credit score in there. You got the deal. You got the numbers. And when you put everything together in a binder and it's all tied up, the deal's ready to go, it's really easy to sell because it's, it's there with a bow on it. And there's no further work. It's interesting. With that commercial deal I was talking about, the warehouse deal, I've been negotiating with these vendors for, oh my God, since March. So we've been going back and forth for some time. And they said, I said, well, I can raise the money to fix this place up. No big deal. And they go, oh, well, do you have investors ready to go? I said, no, no, no. I need the deal. I need a contract with you tied up before I bring it, before I shop it. I'm not shopping a deal without a contract. That's, that's retarded. Like I will, I'll get someone circumventing me or I'll, I'll end up with problems. So right now with that deal, we've actually created, I've already kind of preliminary created a binder and have all the information. I've already been sending it out to some banks and uh, actually have a term sheet now from a real bank to do all the construction. And now what I need, last thing I need on this deal is I need to go get that contract signed with the vendors at the price and terms we agreed to. Yeah. But it's, it's really putting the package together, packaging the deal. And then when you have a great package, uh, usually people buy great packages. You go, wow, this is, you got it. You know, this is 40 to 60 cents. I can see it's a deal. It makes sense to me. Let's do it. Talk to me a little bit, especially when you're focusing on doing your flips and let's not look at your accredited investors. So the multi-million guys, million dollar guys are just crap load of cash. That they kind of give you, but back in the day when you were doing the, the smaller investors, which is where a lot of people who are watching or listening to this are going to be starting. How would you structure your flip deals so that it made sense for everybody? So I remember my first flip I did, I did a lease option on the purchase. So I never even purchased those. I leased it with an option to buy. And then my friend came over and he pulled all the money off his MBNA credit card, gave me a backpack of cash. So it was a backpack of cash and a lease option. So that was as no money down as it gets. Okay. Um, that's, that's not typical. So once you got it, once you kind of got it rolling, what's so, so after that, after the backpack of cash and the lease option, then we started doing hard money. So I do hard money at 75 or 80% of the purchase. And then I'd raise the equity and I'd raise the construction money. Got it. So that was like the second way. And then after that, I realized that although my investors are making a whack load of money because the leverage was so high, they're making 30, 40, 50% ROIs per deal. It was retarded, Dave. The, the money they were making was so good. Mm -hmm. um, after that, because they had the leverage of the hard money and then their equity piece was giving them 50, 50. Like yeah. they were literally making 35% of deals. So people are making 70, 80% annual. It was the most ridiculous returns. And then I stopped that because I realized that I could wipe them out. If the deal went bad, their equity would be wiped out in two minutes. Right. So I switched it to all cash because I had enough investors. So we started buying all cash and I'd stack up a whole bunch of investors and we'd buy all cash and, and they made, they still made eight to 15% a year, which is still really good with no risk of downside. And then after that, I went into the rich people game and we just had one rich guy or two rich guys per deal. So let's go and back that to that, that middle one where you're, let's say, pooling up a, a group of whatever, X number of investors. You'd have all their money in trust or in an account or 
how are they secured by anything or is it basically a promissory type note? So the way that we did it is a couple different ways. And, and the way that your investors want to be secured depends on them. Yeah. Like every investor, they always have token things they want, especially they, a lot of them have a lawyer and the lawyer demands some token things like a declaration of trust or whatever. What we had in the joint venture agreement is we would have, they can secure with a caveat lien or mortgage on the title. So technically it's not a security. Technically it's, you know, you've given some money up, you're secured to this real estate asset. I guess technically it's kind of like a loan. And, uh, and that's how we secured it onto the asset. So there's no shares being issued. It's simply, here's some money, here's a joint venture agreement, and we've secured with a caveat lien or mortgage interest in the property. So you would do that for them or you left that option for them to do themselves if they wanted to secure it on the You know what, the really small ones, I'd say, hey, go down to land titles, it's 40 bucks, you can do it. A lot of those small guys are friends and family, so it's you know really close to you. But the bigger guys, they would have their lawyer do it and the lawyers would move the money around. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of a wild west because you're so small. Like when you're taking 10 grand from a guy and you know each other really well and you've been to each other's birthdays and weddings and stuff, it, there's not a whole lot of securing going on when it's, you know, your two buddies and right. you're hanging out and drinking beers. They can go secure any time at land titles, but you don't want to pay 900 bucks in lawyer fees to secure 10 grand. That's a big loss, right? That's like a nine, 10% loss mm -hmm. instantly. You'll never make that back. You'll never be able to make money because the admin fees are bigger than the money you're making. Exactly. No, that makes sense. So speaking of that, when you were in, at that stage in the beginning and the middle stage, what did you do to stay on the good side of the securities commission? Because I know they're not all that friendly in Manitoba. Securities, they just hate everybody. Well, they don't want anybody who's not, you know, investors group or Sun Life or really big with a perspective. CNBC or RBC or any of those. Yeah, if you're not a major bank or a big financial institution, they don't love you. So, so the way that I play with securities is uh, friends and family yeah. is one exemption. And when you start, you are friends and family. I mean, it's you and your buddies and you know each other and, and that's the way it works. And then the other exemption I play with is 150 grand minimum, which usually keeps securities pretty happy. So another reason to go with bigger investors. And then the third one is accredited investors. So I would either play with friends and family with a joint venture agreement, or I'd play with bigger investors in a boutique accredited investor fashion. And that's, that's what it was. It was a boutique accredited investor shop. We're playing with a couple rich guys. It's boutique. They have their own lawyers. They have their own accountants. They don't need the protection of the government because they have their own protection through their professionals. Yeah. And so securities, you know, securities doesn't really bother me much or they didn't bother me much because I'm not advertising for money, right? I'm not, I'm not out there saying, Hey, give me money, general public. And I'm yeah. smart enough to not market to the general public, you know, ended up with, people funding my stuff just from building a brand and educating people. I had people approaching me all the time. I haven't had to raise investors for a long time because, you know, I work with a couple rich guys and, you know, it's amazing. Actually, I get a call every now and then from one of the guys who runs a fund and he's begging to give me money. He goes, Hey, I got 60 grand. Can you take it? I'm like, no, I don't want your 60 grand. So we start negotiating and he ends up giving me 60 grand and I'm, well, I don't, I got to find a place to put it, this. Yeah, it becomes a pain in the butt for you, right? Because it is. Things. You it got is. Two investors. Now you got this small fish. I, well, I was stressed out the other day because, you know, I got a call from my friend who has this fund. And he says, I got 60 grand. And I said, 
well, I don't want that. And we negotiated, negotiated. And finally I got some okay terms and I said, okay, fine, I'll take your terms. But then I said to, I said to my mother, I said, I don't even have a deal for this. I don't have a deal for this. Like, I don't even know where to put this money. And the question is, where do you deploy this money to actually beat the cost of the money so that you can do something? You, you might want to give him his money back. Might be more of a pain. Yeah, yeah, that's that's another option. I mean, I've got I've got so many business interests now, Dave. You know, with the online marketing and the deals, and and we're doing storage and e-commerce and all these things. I'm sure I can find a home for it. <laughs> this is an easy question for you because you work with a lot of people in this in this situation, but. Let's say we took it all away from you right now. All you had left was your knowledge. You lost all your properties, all your money, all your, all your contacts even. Okay, so starting from scratch, what would you do? What would you be your plan of action to raise, uh, let's say, $500,000 in the next 90 to 120 days, three to four months? What would, you, what would you do to make that happen starting from scratch? You got your knowledge though. Oh, so I got my knowledge. Well, that's not very hard. Uh, you know, if you have your knowledge, um, you know, you just got to find some rich people and well, you got to get a deal and find some rich people and, and put them in that. But I was going to say, you know, if you lost everything or didn't have everything, I'd probably go into a sales job. You know, I think, I think the one thing that people miss the most, and I coach people all the time um, who want to be full-time investors or entrepreneurs. And what people are always missing, Dave, is, they go from their corporate job or the government or whatever, and they try to be a full-time real estate investor and they miss that sales job transition. And so, you know, if for some reason everything evaporated on me and I needed to live, I'd probably get a sales job of some kind. And then well having that sales job, because that's going to be your highest income thing, I would start putting a deal together and, and I would go and try to find the richest people. I actually know it's a, a little bit of a trick here. So you can call up the hard money lenders in your area and go meet them and negotiate with them one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And they will make custom deals. These guys all have big pots of money and they're sitting on them. And they're just rich guys that have a company called Hard Money Lending. And you can go sit down with them for lunch and negotiate a custom deal. And they'll do custom deals all the time. So there's a whole bunch of rich guys you can talk to right away to start calling the hard money lenders direct. Well, that's an awesome piece of advice. And, you know, you hear a lot about hard money lenders, especially in the States. What do you do to find hard money lenders here? So type it into Google. I mean, go, to, go on Google and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it right now. I'm going to go on Google while we're talking. I type in hard money lenders Winnipeg. Okay. So hard money lenders Winnipeg where I'm sitting. So right here, we got four ads at the top. So there's four companies as ads. Then we got Kijiji has a whole bunch of ads, people who want to give you hard money. And then we've got one, two, three, four. Like we got lenders, dude, right here at the bottom. How many, how many results do we have? Oh, 574,000 results in 0 0.62 seconds. So there's 574,000 people wanting to give me money. Like, don't tell me it's hard getting money, Dave. I mean, you can call every single one of these guys and start negotiating a deal. And well, American hard money, they'll give you the purchase and the rentals. Right. That's the American standard. As long as it's under a certain LTV when it's finished. Canadians, they don't do that, but you can negotiate it. You can negotiate it. You can negotiate any custom deal. And that's why you, know, you have to learn to negotiate because like none of these deals, Dave, the real estate deals or the money, 
is ever just, no one just opens their legs and presents it to you and says, please take my money now. Like, wow. like, please marry my beautiful daughter. Like it doesn't just work like that. Like you have to negotiate for that. Like you don't just walk down the road and there's just a beautiful woman there and you just marry her. Like it doesn't work like that. You have to negotiate. You have to go on a date. You have or, to or if it does, you're, you're in for a hell of a lot of trouble. Let's put it that well, way. Well, I was going to say, yeah, that's like you have some Russian gangsters break your knees and you know, you're, you're going to have some real problems if, if you fall for one of those scams. Well, yeah, definitely. So I just typed, I typed in hard money lenders, BC, as Kamloops where I live is kind of small, but yeah, there's a schwack of, uh, there's a schwack of them. Hey, I think you're, I think your website flipping for flipping for profit.ca popped up. I, is, I think, is that you? No, it's not me. I, he came up here on my search too. Uh, okay. But yeah, but, yeah private guys, there's all sorts of stuff coming up here. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of, lots of, lots of options. Fantastic, buddy. Appreciate it. And I look forward to interviewing you again on the podcast in the future because you got such a, a wealth of knowledge. And the next one we'll, we'll talk about is we'll dive into how you find your deals because what people might not have picked up from this call is the fact that if you're doing a transaction a week, and again, Winnipeg's a, a good sized town, but it's not huge, right? But they 800,000 people, so it's not very big. Like, not compared to like Chicago or Dallas or, or Toronto or Vancouver or anywhere. Toronto Soros Rex, yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're doing that volume of deals in Winnipeg, you've definitely got it dialed in on how to find the deal. So if you're up for it, sometime in the not too distant future, we'll jump back on and, and talk about finding deals and finding motivated sellers because that's something that everybody's always interested in awesome Dave yeah let's do that and really I think it's all about the deal if you can get the deal the money's always there there you go so if people want to find out about about you and I, I highly recommend they get a copy of your of your book money people deal what's the best place to uh, do that well you can go to stephanarnio.com so it's S-T-E-F-A-N-A-A-R-N-I-O. Once again, S-T-E-F-A-N-A-A-R-N-I-O.com. Awesome. Sounds good, bud. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Dave. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. And if you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review be very, very much appreciated. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at InvestorAttractionDemo.com. Take care.